0: Dwell Magazine, this is Raw Materials Three Ways, and I'm Dan McGinn. I'm an architect and writer, but for RM3, consider me your guide to the fascinating and surprisingly dramatic world where materials and humans intersect. Ever since I can remember, I've been interested in objects and their backstories. As a kid, I used to collect coins. I loved their weight and their presence in my hand. At the height of my interest, I had dozens of different types. Mercury dimes, Morgan silver dollars... Buffalo nickels I was loaded. These worn discs of metal with their faded profiles and antiquated words were relics that told stories of another time and place. One of my prized possessions was a zinc-coated steel penny minted in 1943 at the height of World War II. Copper was too valuable to the war effort to dedicate to pennies, so the treasury made them from metals that were more readily available.
1: Has said that the action begun yesterday will settle the future of Germany for a thousand years. Just to bring you up to date the on the news on of Europe, if you are just turning on your radio, the radios, forces that never enslave the
2: entire Climbers world are now moving towards this hemisphere. Never
0: 1943 pennies were basically galvanized, meaning they have a steel core with a thin zinc coating to prevent the steel from rusting. Zinc's role in this story goes beyond utility, in that a rusting penny wouldn't have exactly inspired confidence in the war effort. A zinc penny communicated, yeah, we're at war, but we got this. 1943 pennies aren't worth that much to coin collectors, but this little circle of zinc-coated steel meant everything to me. The idea that even a penny could be value-engineered helped me put the war in perspective. On a molecular level, the zinc coating on my penny has literally sacrificed itself to the steel giving itself up to prevent the steel from oxidizing. As a 12-year-old collector, Abe's profile in tarnished gray led me to associate the metal zinc with survival in the face of adversity. Zinc is a soldier. Zinc has your back. My curiosity in what things are made of eventually led to my interest in the design and construction of buildings, the materials of architecture, Metal, wood, glass, stone, and many more, they all came from somewhere and were processed in some way. Before they found their way into our homes, they used to be something else entirely. In their raw forms, they were birch trees, or rusty rocks, or slow-footed brontosauruses, long dead, long squished into ribbons of dark carbon. And before that, on an elemental level, they were something else, and something else before that. Elements. Combining in countless different ways on our planet are the stem cells of raw materials, and raw materials, in turn, are the stem cells of architecture. Combined with the ideas of an architect or designer, and the craft of a builder, raw materials become homes and products that help to shape the lives of the people who live in them. Each episode of RM3 focuses on the stories that emerge when a single elemental ingredient, processed in three different ways, is transformed into three markedly different materials. Today, we're digging back into that noble yet unassuming gray metal that got me thinking all those years ago. Zinc. So, what exactly is zinc? Like most elements, zinc doesn't exist naturally in its pure metallic form. Over the course of time, it has teamed up with other elements to form a variety of compounds and alliances. Zinc ore, the grayish dirt that is mined and processed to make zinc, is a mishmash of stuff that differs across regions. Zinc is, in fact, a happiest when it's paired with other elements. When zinc parties with its buddies iron and sulfur, for instance, it makes a mineral called sphalerite. It also parties with other elements to create other mineral forms with similarly awesome sneeze-sounding names like smithsonite, hemomorphite, and wurtz.
1: A mineral is really a combination of a metal with another material, another element. It could be both another metal, but typically it's like a... Uh, sulfide or oxygen or a nitride or a chloride. It's the chemicals that are in nature that combine with metals uh, when they were first produced four billion years ago. That's Bill Zayner. He's an expert on architectural
0: metals, and he runs a highly regarded fabrication company called Zayner in Kansas City, Missouri. You could say Bill has metal in his blood. Actually, we all have trace elements of metal in our blood but Bill maybe has a little bit more. His company was started by his great-grandfather.
1: And It's been in the family for four generations. We uh, just work on art and architectural uses of metal, uh, fabricate, engineer. But the metals that we use in, in art and architecture really boil down to the steels, the uh, aluminum, steel being iron, aluminum, zinc, copper, titanium, uh, lead,
0: In the 1880s, when Zayner's family started their company, the biggest zinc mines in the U.S. were in southern Missouri, Tennessee, and Indiana, while the Shawnee likely were the earliest miners of lead along Arkansas's White River. This was a time of frontier lawlessness, and zinc, or jack, as the ore was called back then, was at the center of it all, helping to fuel the production of bullets.
1: In the 1890s, Joplin, Missouri is going through this massive it was one of the wealthiest parts of the United States because of these mines that were going after the lead for the shot. Zinc and lead are all often found together, and uh, zinc is sort of a byproduct in a sense. When Bill talks about
0: metal, architects listen. He's the chosen one, with a couple of general books on architectural metals to his credit and a few more focusing on the use of specific metals in the works. If you've been to the Hunter Museum in Chattanooga or the Art Gallery of Alberta, you've been to a building with a zinc skin fabricated and installed by Zayner. He thinks like a builder and a designer, but he also thinks like a chemist. It takes a huge amount of energy to refine a pure metal from a metallic ore, and that's why metals form patinas. They are itching to renew the bonds. The
1: refining process broke. And so in a sense, metals have a potential energy within them And so they have that tendency to always want to change back or return back to the natural way. So your patinas you see in copper or your patinas you see in zinc or even weathering steel, the oxide you see there, those are really mineral forms appearing on the surface. And they're incredibly, some of them are incredibly stable.
0: Mineral forms are not to be confused with alloys. There are examples of brass, an alloy of zinc and copper, being used as far back as 3000 B.C. in Babylonia and Assyria, and 1400 B.C. in Palestine. We'll hear all about the benefits of brass later in the show, but sometimes the most beneficial use of metal is in its pure form. As a result of being difficult to concentrate, zinc wasn't really used much as a pure metal until the 14th century, and it really wasn't until the mid-18th century that its workability, corrosion resistance, and striking appearance made a recognizable impact in the West, changing the way cities were built.
1: It really got prominence in the 1800s, with Nap- Napoleon III, uh, his architect, they wanted to reshape the city of Paris, and if you go in Paris you see all these roofs, these silver roofs, and that's zinc. There was a uh, big uh, zinc mining area on the east part of France uh, called Calamine. One of the minerals you have of zinc is calamine, you have heard of calamine lotion and those things. It's similar, it's a zinc carbonate, and that's uh, where a lot of zinc mines still are today. You don't have to roll to Paris or commission a museum to get some zinc in your life though.
0: It's an affordable option for smaller projects too, even on a residential scale.
1: One that's really quite lovely is a countertop. We've made zinc countertops, and in fact they are, they're sort of uh, pieces from uh, France. that uh, They used to cast them. Uh, we've actually clad different wood forms with zinc. And the interesting part there is then you take and you kind of soften it, and you get this this really aged pewter look. Uh, actually, on the countertop form, uh, wine glass will make an interesting stain, but you just kind of rub it off. The more those things you get on it, actually it actually looks quite beautiful.
0: Bill thinks that zinc's importance as a metal used in buildings will only expand in the future, as architects
1: around the world better understand its potential. Well, I think it's gonna become more and more of material of choice uh, that designers can work with. It's still uh, used heavily in the galvanized world. The, they want the minimum galvanized so it doesn't show through, yet that spangle is one of the, the more beautiful aspects of it. And those are because it's a pure coating of zinc on steel. It'll always be used in, in, uh, heavily in Europe China now is one of the biggest producers of, of zinc in the world, uh, both from the mining standpoint and then, uh, but that's more in a casting form. So we'll see. But I think it'll still be a uh, material, especially as we develop more and more patinas, it'll be more and more interesting to people to use uh, in different ways.
0: The jaw-dropping zinc-clad architectural forms Zayner has worked on are truly custom, handcrafted works of art. But zinc doesn't mind coming off the shelf, either. Some architects have tapped into the use of everyday materials like corrugated, galvanized metal in surprisingly elegant ways. I'm Marlon Blackwell. I've
2: practice in Fayetteville, Arkansas since 1992. Uh, I'm also the E. Fay Jones Distinguished Professor at the Fay Jones School of Architecture and Design here in Fayetteville.
0: Marlon is an architect who embraces the idea of place on a deep level. In his case, the rugged limestone cliffs and forested landforms of Arkansas and central and southern Missouri, known as the Ozarks. For a quarter century, the natural and man-made qualities of this place have inspired his work. You know, it's a, a, a land of real
2: natural beauty and simultaneously one of real constructive ugliness. So, On the surface, could be seen as culturally and aesthetically impoverished, but it actually not the case at all. We've just gotten to know the place very well. Uh, both from this geological,
0: biological and cultural standpoints. Marlin combines common materials in surprising ways, creating buildings that transcend their origins and defamiliarize our usual relationships to them. There's a lot of wonderfully strange things here that we
2: sort of tap into, both the the local form of the vernacular buildings, but also just the the material culture, uh, everything from the hardwoods to our cash crop, rocks, And we just sort of start combining them in a way to complete our task, which we see as a task of recreating strangeness to kind of
0: interrupt the habitual
2: way in which you see the world.
0: Marlon is interested in defamiliarizing what people would normally expect to see in a building. Take corrugated galvanized metal, a material ubiquitous in Arkansas, mostly because it's affordable and easy to build with. Arkansas is one of the largest producers of poultry in the country, and its chicken houses dot the countryside. I think every chicken house, just about uh, traditionally,
2: is made with this uh, metal. We call it, in fact, we call it chicken metal.
1: But it has
2: a rawness to it and uh, it is beautiful in the light and its reflectivity, and something that, when combined with other materials like everything from concrete, concrete block, uh, to wood uh, or in stone, makes a really a great palette that negotiates. Uh, you know, culture and agriculture, you know, which is really what the place is kind of known for.
0: There's a playfulness to Marlin's work that is appealing. His buildings are strangely familiar, but part of the fun is that you can't always be sure what he is referencing.
2: I used to be a cartoonist.
0: I, I try to see things in a more
2: anthropomorphic way. I mean, we're, we're kind of the benchmark for our own reality, right? So, So the way in which something sits on the ground, as expressive character. You know, the way in which we walk upon the earth or uh, a creature meets the ground. It's all, uh, it's very expressive. Is it heavy or is it light? Is it tenuous? Is it playful? You know, what is what is that? And, and then how something meets the sky is just as important. You know, we have bodies, right? There are heads and there are tails and there are feet. Architecture can be seen in that way too as a base in the middle and a, and a top kind of deal. So we we're looking at those relationships between you know the living and dynamic and then the more uh you know stable and, and inanimate you know like you find it in buildings and how to infuse them with expressive character uh, that we find in our observations as a world of the world as it's given to us. Majority of what we use is off the rack, readily available. We can seam it right on site or it comes straight through uh, an extruder. Uh, that can be done locally. It forms the the profile of the the metal panels. Uh, The key to it, what we found, is not accepting everything they give you in the assembly or kit of parts, especially the transitional details, like at the eave or at corners or at sills or the heads of windows. Uh, What we try to do is make custom uh, break all our own transitional uh, details, like that corners and uh, heads and trim, uh, things of that nature. And what it does is it allows us to, uh, again, create a greater degree of uh, abstraction.
0: Marlon's work is about the balance between simple, bold forms that feel uncannily at home in their environments and a level of craft that belies an intuition about the extraordinary potential of ordinary materials. One of the traits of his genius is the ability to see beyond what everyone else is seeing. It's elevated because it's represented. Uh, if
2: you take an old pocket watch, you know, uh, an everyday old pocket watch might not seem like much, even if it's a hundred years old, but if you put it in a beautiful uh, glass case, let's say you elevate it, you give it additional significance. So it's the way of representing that watch. In the same way, we're representing the metal uh, in counter to the way it's, you know, the one size fits all assembly that it's, it's given to us.
0: Take a look at Marlin's work, the Tower House in Fayetteville, Shelby Farms Park in Memphis, St. Nicholas Eastern Orthodox Church in Springdale, Arkansas, you will start to pick up on the dialogue he's having with his surroundings.
2: We think of buildings in terms of DNA, you know, the kind of DNA they have. The best ones are adaptive, dynamic, and uh, have the capacity to for change, right? That's an important part of how we think about it. And we think about them in typological ways, too. You know, we often begin looking at the vernacular. It's a place to start. Uh, it's never where we end because we're constantly looking for opportunities to transcend the vernacular, to use the, the lessons and the common sense approach that the vernacular uses, and then find ways to tap into a more uh, universal or global uh, discourse. We also look for those things that you find in the underbelly, you know, under the rock, so to speak. And that's just as important. So when I talk about typologies, I love looking at barns, but I also love Looking at RV vehicles out in the middle of the landscape, it might be sitting next to a barn. You know, both of those are typologies uh, for us, and we don't see one as a negative and one as a positive. They both are sources of inspiration. And the same thing applies to natural form or natural systems. You know, whether it's uh, you know something like caves or forests to actual creatures that you know aren't architecture but that have an architecture, and so. That, too, is a source of inspiration. So the the relationship between what is nature made and what is culture made is what we're very interested in in a a, a more analogous way.
0: Marlon's success as an architect stems, in part, from this uniquely democratic view of the world, giving both natural and man-made inspirations equal voice. His buildings communicate a fresh story about the world we live in and that ability to spin a good story, to connect with people on a human level, is a skill he honed over five summers selling Bibles door to door in Alabama. You know, I was meeting a couple thousand families uh,
2: a summer. In the morning, I'd, I'd meet a sharecropper. In the afternoon, I might meet a coal miner. And in the evening, I might meet a state legislator. Uh, and it's just like, well, how do I communicate? How do I have genuine conversations with these folks where uh, we feel that there is a, a dialogue and engagement? And at the same time, I'm selling something that most people already have, so I don't think of it as kind of promoting the work or anything. I think it's just really about telling the story and making it humane and accessible to anyone. And that's how we feel about architecture, that it should be uh, able to happen
0: anywhere, uh, happen at any scale, any budget, and for anyone. I've come to appreciate zinc as an element that's up for anything. It just wants to help out. It's a team player, like when it alloys with copper to make brass. Once it's brass, it can do a lot of new things it couldn't do when it was just zinc. It can make great musical instruments and plumbing fixtures and hardware. It doesn't spark when you strike it, so it is used for valves on things like propane tanks. It makes great tacks, apparently, and it can make great light fixtures.
3: If there's any personality trait that i would apply to brass it would definitely be friendly
0: lynette rizzo owns and operates allied maker a new york-based company that specializes in creating handmade light fixtures she partners with her husband ryden who started the company in 2012 in a garage studio tucked away on the north shore of long island allied maker loves brass for similar reasons that musical instrument makers love it it is easily shaped and then it holds that shape indefinitely
3: you know it's not like steel where steel will break down and rust Brass is always brass is always brass. It's, it's, it doesn't corrode in that way. It's extremely resilient. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, your best friend that's always gonna be there for you.
0: Brass has had its moments, coming into and out of fashion every couple decades. It had a real heyday in the economically downtrodden 1970s as a way to make cheap design look not so cheap. And some designers in recent years have tapped into that retro spirit. Allied Maker is different though, They aren't using brass out of a sense of irony or nostalgia. Their appreciation of brass is based solely on its ability to make outstanding light fixtures.
3: There are a couple of things that are very special about brass. One would be its malleability. So it's able to be formed over a mold. Let's say our dome, for example. Um, It starts as a flat sheet, and then uh, a machinist will uh, push it over a form and you know gradually it'll become this sort of dome shape the the softness is just wonderful but yet it's rigid you know it gives a a really nice rigid form but because it's soft it, it sort of falls over this form
0: look at the range of light fixtures allied maker produces and you'll see the same brass fixture offered in six different natural finishes all of them are the result of experimenting with the material in their studio
3: we do a rub patina so we apply the patina to the outside with um, a solution that oxidizes and and forces a patina onto the surface. So it's not necessarily a a paint or it's what we'd like to call an honest finish. It's what would happen over many, many years with exposure to the right elements. Our blackened brass finish is, um, it comes standard that way with the exposed brass interior because we love that juxtaposition of that really dark exterior with that bright brass. And it shows the full range of Brass.
0: Lynette and Ryden fixate on precision and detail, building their lights to last decades. They see them as active and familiar participants in the lives of their customers.
3: Like a door pull, for example, that's been a oil rubbed bronze or a blackened brass, with use, it tells a story. You know, you see the hands through time. You see how much its environment and its people have, have affected its, its state. We get pictures back of, um, you know, clients' homes and they're like, I just love that, you know, this tells a moment and that, you know, this was a beach house that has a sconce right by the window. You know, it tells the story of that air of that time. And I think that's just a really beautiful sort of diary of that environment.
0: I visited Allied Makers' showroom in New York recently. The simplicity and elegance of the work struck me. A machined wood sconch caught my attention. The striking fixture is comprised of an elegantly turned wood dome and a light bulb, just those two things existing together up on the wall. It beckons you to slow down and take notice of the material and finish, but also take notice about what's not there, the trim and connectors that one would find on most lamps. And then you start to really notice the quality of the
3: light. I love how the light sort of plays in the waves of the material. The dome shape kind of Cast the light a particular way on the, on the wall or, you know, depending on where it's placed. A lot of our composition has to do with how the light is thrown from the object and, and plays with its environment. We really think about how is the light going to be affected by the material that it's coming through and then by the finish that's being applied as it as it comes through that material.
0: The Atelier pendant is another fascinating fixture a hand spun brass dome encasing a second glass dome with the glass just barely peeking out. The piece exists as both a light fixture and a riddle. Can you guess how we pulled off this incredibly difficult
3: detail? So we have the spun dome that's on top, and then we also have inside the glass shade there is actually a bent piece of glass so it's it's also formed similarly to the brass dome where you know it's over a mold a high heat is applied to it so it slumps over this form and um we sort of have this perfect marriage of a glass form that is made for its brass dome We've also used a similar construction for a couple of other, our other lamps because we love that sort of continuous glow that happens inside of that Atelier pendant.
0: When you see Lynette and Ryden Rizzo interacting together, it's hard not to compare them to Charles and Ray Eames, whose collaborative design process resulted in a portfolio of timeless furniture pieces, like their classic black leather and walnut lounge chair. Adelaide Maker is not interested in creating a few popular lights that sell well and then camping out and reaping profits while they hang out on the beach. They get their energy from the never-ending iteration of design, from composing material, light, and shadow in different ways.
3: We have production going on all day, but then in the evenings, we stay and we really discuss, like, um, what what could we try next? What is a material that we're really interested in working with? What is um, a shape that we'd really like to incorporate? You know where are our challenges in working with a material how can we make that better we talk about this idea of um sort of curating a maker environment the larger we become the closer we get to really realizing this idea of this hub of makers
0: allied makers constant drive to explore and refine how different materials and processes can shape light and shadow has helped raise awareness in the importance of making their work and the work of Bill Zaner and Marlon Blackwell resonates because it is informed both by the search to discover new ways to shape and connect materials, and by the patient exploration of what a material, on an elemental level, wants to become. Most of us, when looking at a pile of gray rocks, might not see much. But great designers and makers look a little deeper and ask, Hey zinc, what do you want to be? RM3 is a podcast by Dwell Media, your guide to living with good design. Jenny Shia produces the show, and Jonna McCone is our editor and producer. I'm your host, Dan McGinn. Our theme music is by Slog Ralden. Thanks to Bill Zahner, Marlon Blackwell, and Lynette Rizzo for contributing to Zinc Three Ways. Check out dwell.com slash podcast to learn more and see some amazing images of what we have covered. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Dwell Magazine on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to get your daily design fix. We hope you enjoyed Zinc Three Ways, and we'll see you next time as we dig into the backstory of another raw material.